Good to see you. Yeah, that deserves an ovation. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, all right. If there's anybody here on planet Earth, it's believers who believe that God is doing a new thing in a new year, and so uh, we celebrate that this morning. Welcome to church. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Welcome to those of you joining us online. It's great to have you. If this is one of your first times joining us, if you are new to Victory Life Church, we want to invite you to check us out at vlchurch.com. There's a banner there that says, are you new here? If you'd be so kind to click on that banner and let us know that you're here, we'll connect with you sometime this week. If you don't do things online and uh, you don't like technology, you can take one of those uh, communication cards that can be found in the seat back in front of you and fill that out and find me at the Welcome Center afterwards. And we have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. But indeed, thanks for worshiping with us today. I have one announcement I want to share with you. We are starting our next growth track class. This is also for those of you that are relatively new to Victory Life Church. If you'd like to learn more about who we are, learn about what we believe, and how you can get connected to grow in your faith, uh, this is the class for you. It's a four-week class. It starts in two weeks. starts on Sunday, January 15th at 9.30 a.m. If you'd like to get signed up for that class, you can go to our website, once again, at vlchurch.com. Click on that banner, fill out the form, and we would love to have you indeed on January 15th. Join us for Growth Track. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. And so if you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give, or you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, with your tithes and offerings. Before I ask you to stand, I do want to make mention of something that's vitally important to our goals this year and our vision this year around the Shine Your Light mission. As you know, uh, we have pray-and-go teams that are a part of our Shine Your Light ministries this year, and uh, we are really excited that more of our pray-and-go teams are going to be going out this January to continue to pray for neighborhoods and communities in our area. And so we would just want to acknowledge them and pray for them this morning as they uh, go out and encourage uh, uh, people in our neighborhoods to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do that this morning. Is that okay with you? We're going to pray for them uh, as we uh, stand together to uh, prepare our hearts for worship. So can you stand this morning? And as you do so, might we bow our heads to uh, pray for uh, these folks on our pray and go teams and also to prepare our hearts for worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for a new year. As believers, we celebrate new things all the time. In Isaiah, you said, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. You said, behold, I am doing a new thing, because I am making a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That is what we believe you are doing. And we also believe that you are doing a new thing in the lives of those who live in our surrounding neighborhoods and communities. And so we pray that you would endow our Pray and Go team members with conviction, with passion, and direction as they fulfill the assignment that you have for them. Because they are praying for new to come in the lives of those that they are influencing. May those who are being prayed for come to know that you are good. May they come to know that you are good because you offer a new start, a new life. We believe what the Apostle Paul said, the old is gone and the new is coming to them who are being prayed for. 
So may you break through the barrier to reveal this important truth to those who are reached by our Pray and Go teams. So, Father God, we come to worship you today to not only celebrate a new year, but to celebrate the new life you have given us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to sing some songs about our identity, and our identity is found in Jesus Christ. He is good. He is our rock. He is the one that we want to root ourselves in as we walk into this new year. So let's just root ourselves in him this morning as we sing about our identity.
today. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, we are thankful this morning that we have a place in your house. We have a place in your kingdom, Lord, because you have called us, you have chosen us, you've not forsaken us. Lord, we remember this morning that Jesus came to this earth to save us, to bring us back into relationship with you. 
we have a place today. It's in your house. It's in your kingdom. We are rooted in you, Jesus, because we've been found in you. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for making a way for us. We worship you this morning because of that.
Father. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, we praise you. Sing one more time with me this party. And praise the Father. Praise the Son. And praise the Spirit. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful to you this morning. Grateful that you did not leave us dead in our sin and our trespasses, but called us and changed us, made us new. Oh, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise this morning for coming to this earth to be our Lord and our Savior, our consolation and our salvation, the one who has made all things new. Lord Jesus, continue making us new in this place today. Continue making us new in this place until such time as a new heaven and a new earth is wrought and we see you face to face. We pray these things in your matchless name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And at this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed to go down the hall and do what it is that young disciples do. You old disciples get to do what it is that old disciples do. Hooray! Woohoo! Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, it's good to see you all this morning. All of us hanging out together for once in the year, right? Get doing one service here on uh, New Year's Day. We're going to be in kind of a one-message uh, one series here today. I guess you can't call one message a series, but we are between a lot of different things that we're doing as a church here this morning. So I'm going to have you turn with me to something the Lord laid on my heart this week that is in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 14 and following today. We're going to be in a passage that Pastor Otto has already quoted to us this morning uh, in part. And it's because it's going to be preached all over or is being preached all over the United States right now because it is such an apropos message for a Sunday like today. I rang in the new year last night at a wedding, dancing the night away. My cousin got married, and it was, it was so much fun. Uh, a number of times last evening, my wife told me to shut up and dance. I told her the same we're not disrespectful, that's just the name of the song, right? And we went for it. Uh, at one point, my cousin, who looked beautiful in her wedding dress, said, this is the most dolled up you'll ever see me. And I thought, that's absolutely true. That's what, that's what weddings are all about. It's, it's, it's putting on all of the stuff that, that you get married in. You know, I love weddings. I was a young adult pastor for a number of years, which meant that a lot of folks in my group ended up getting married and that was our goal. No, it wasn't our goal, but, but we had a young adult ministry. A lot of them got married. I did a lot of your weddings. Had a lot of fun on your dance floors. But you know what? If you kind of peel back the curtain on, on, on a wedding, there's some crazy stuff that can go on. I'll tell you that. Yeah. 
the cookies are getting placed and the, the decorations are getting placed and folks are melting down. It's a lot of fun. But perhaps the biggest, weirdest thing when you're somebody who shows up at a wedding an hour and a half early is when the bride arrives, but she's not yet changed to her wedding gown. Because she has spent all morning getting dolled up to, to the nth degree. You know, the fingernails or, you know, the French manicure, you know, they're all done. And the jewelry's hanging off her wrists and her earrings. The dangly things are all dangling, right? And, and the hair has been pinned up with so many pins that... You know, it, it may never come out, right? And the tiara is up there for the brides and the hairspray and the s smell of hairspray. And, and, and the makeup, the makeup is perfect. You know, the, the face is a completely different shade than this arm, right? It's, it's, it's everything. It's all the things. And then she shows up in an old, torn Justin Bieber shirt and some dirty sweatpants, you know? And, and she walks in, you're standing in the lobby, and you want to say, oh, you look beautiful, but you can't say that. You're like, oh, you, you look in process, right? <laughs> you, know, you just can't, you can't go the full thing. She's in process. The, the, the dress isn't on yet, right? The shoes aren't on yet. The Justin Bieber shirt's tattered, and the, the pants are stained. Well, today I want to talk to you from the Word of God about a church that was in process, they were on the way to being changed, but they weren't fully changed. They hadn't made it all the way there. And so it just looked silly. It didn't look right. It didn't, it didn't look complete. They were all dolled up up here, but they were all Walmart down here, you know? And that was the problem. That was the problem. They, they weren't all the way to where they needed to go. And as I mentioned, so many pastors this morning are going to talk about the newness of today, that, that in Christ you are a new creation the old has passed away, the new has come, and that is all so true. But that was written to a church that hadn't yet achieved that. It was written to, to folks who that ought to have been true of, but it wasn't quite true of. And as I looked into the context of this passage this week, I thought not only does getting fully changed into what Christ has for us uh, fit for a Sunday like no, or January 1st, but it also fits right into what God has been calling us to change into as a church all year long. And so to fully make the change into all the things that God has for us, we're going to have to get all the way to the end of the message this morning because the last bit of change is perhaps the hardest part. Getting that dress on, if you will, is the biggest deal of them all. But if we'll follow the process that Paul lays out for the church in order to be fully changed so we don't look goofy, so we're not off, so, so, so there's, not a, there's not a cognitive discord between who we ought to be and who we are, then we're really going to be able to be the people that God has called us to be. And my hope and my prayer for us as a church this year is that we can truly say that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We've all been completely transformed. Are you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and following? Here we go one of the most famous verses of Scripture before another famous verse of Scripture, except you probably have always read it, the, the love of Christ compels us. Do you remember that from the King James and the NIV? Well, we're reading out of the English Standard Version, so we're going to see a different word here today in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says to the church in Corinth, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. 
And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is describing, he and his ministry associates, who have ministered in the church of Corinth, as folks who are completely changed. Because they have been. And we know that that's the truth, because Paul and his ministry associates were completely sold out to the things of God and to the church of God. And the change that had taken place in Paul is one of the great stories of Scripture. For those of you who might remember, Paul hated the thought of Jesus and hated the followers of Jesus. You can't have a bigger change from being a hater of the thought of Jesus and a hater of the followers of Jesus to being someone who spends their entire life trying to make more followers of Jesus. You can't experience a bigger change. Paul is saying, when he begins this passage in 5.14, the love of Christ controls us. I am controlled by Jesus. He starts so many of his letters how? Paul, a slave or a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He has made a complete and utter change. So when he looks at these people and says, Christ has died for those who live, that they might no longer live to themselves but for Christ, he's saying, we're there. We have gone into that place where we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ. But he's pointing out that the folks he's writing to haven't. And who is he writing to? A bunch of folks on, on Mars Hill in Athens? Is he, is he writing to a bunch of folks in, 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 in the temple of Jupiter? No. He's writing to a bunch of folks who are attending church every week. He's writing to a bunch of folks who, who, who are, are, are theoretically the bride of Christ. And he's imploring them and appealing to them at the end of our passage this morning here in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see the tension that's in this passage? He says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Everybody who is in Christ is a new creation. Now we implore you, be reconciled to God. He's saying, you ought to be, but you're not. He says the same thing to this Corinthian church in chapter 1 of of the first book of Corinthians. He said, you have all been sanctified by God. You've all been made holy. Therefore, be holy. He's saying, you guys are in process. There's still more to do. You're not completely changed. You ought to be reconciled to God. My ministry associates and I, it sounds haughty, but it's true. It's not haughty. It's, it's not haughty if it's true. He's saying, my ministry associates and I, we, we've made the change. We're all the way there. And he, he, he lays out for them a couple of things that makes it clear that they're there, and if the Corinthian church will just get on board, they would be fully changed as well. 
if they'll just look to the apostle, if you will, who has the answers and says, you know what, I believe you that you've been changed. I believe you that you're fully immersed in Christ and, and everything that you are is in him. I believe that. I will follow your example. In fact, if you were to read the entire context of the book, if you were to, to zoom out and look at this book, Paul is defending his ministry in much of this book. I am who I say I am. I am fully committed and enamored with Jesus and his church. And therefore, I want you to be fully reconciled to God because there is no better way to live, Church of Christ. There is no better way to be than to be fully committed to Jesus. So when he opens in verse 14 saying, the love of Christ controls us, he is, he is putting that intention and saying, it ought to control you too. It ought to control you too. That, that ought to be the, the, the cause of all that you do. And he begins to lay out how that change is made possible. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at this scripture. I want to dig a little bit deeper into it. I want to see three things that, that, that Paul says, this is evidence of the change in me and my ministry associates, church. And therefore, I want that to be the change that we see in you as well. Because it will mean then that you are fully living for Christ with all that you have now, now, I know that, that you're all in church this morning on some level because you want that. You want Jesus to, to take the wheel. You want him to be in charge on some level. But perhaps you haven't fully made that change this morning because the practical nature of what that would mean is, is somewhat elusive. Well, Paul's got some real practical things this morning. He challenges us to, to feel something different. He challenges us to see other people differently, and he challenges us to see ourselves differently. And that's what he dives into as we get back into this passage. Look down in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 14. Again, let's see a little bit more about what Paul has to say to us. He says, the love of Christ controls us. Something that Paul feels makes him fully changed. Now, I know there are feelers in this room, and I know there are thinkers in this room. So thinkers, don't be stinkers. Come along with us for just a moment and enter the emotive place for just a minute. Paul says the love of Christ controls us because I've concluded this, that Christ died for me. He says Christ died for all, but he's getting to the point that Christ died for me. That the Son of God came out of heaven, made his way to earth ultimately to humble himself, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, to humble himself even to death on a cross. I know Jesus loves me. Isn't it interesting that Paul says if you want God to take full control of your life, if you want to be changed with everything in you, you have to feel the love of Christ. Not love for Christ. I looked at it in the Greek. Trust me on this. It says the love of Christ. The love that Christ loves you with is what puts us in position to do all that God has called us to do, every bit of it. You've got to feel the love. Can you feel the love tonight of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the real question. And a lot of us aren't operating in that. Jesus is, is God. We, we've settled on that. We've settled on the theological proposition that he died in our place on the cross. We've settled, many of us who are parents, we've settled on the, on the idea that we should raise our kids in church so they would be raised with Judeo-Christian values and be church kids and church people. But many of us struggle to feel the love of Christ that ends up controlling or compelling us. How do we get there? 
How do we feel love? How do we grow in love? And that's an issue, is it not? Paul doesn't come right out and tell us, this is how you grow in love. But everything the church is designed to be and do is to help the people of God fall more in love with Jesus and experience the love that he has for us. Everything that the church exists to be is is to make sure that we are experiencing the love and the faithfulness and the understanding of that love and faithfulness that has said that steadfast love of God, that we feel it and we recognize it all the time with all that we are. That, that's, that's it right there. That we really understand how much Christ has loved us. That we really understand how much he loves us right now. That we really understand how much he has done for us and is doing for us. That's what makes the change. Not not what we mentally assent to, that which we feel with every fiber of our being. So how do you grow in love? How do you grow in connection to God? How do you grow in connection to Christ? Well, really, it's it's, it's a very simple concept. It's the same concept that he created us with in our interpersonal relationships as human beings. It's quality time spent. The more time you spend with someone the more you grow in love with that someone so long as they're a worthy object of your love. Now, there is no one more worthy of our love than Christ and no one who has loved us better than Christ. So to spend time in the presence of Christ is what's going to help us grow in love with him that he may make the changes in us that are necessary so we are completely reconciled to God, no longer, as Paul says, living for ourselves, but living for him who died for us. We need quality time spent with the Lord. My wife and I aren't going to grow in love if she's watching Everybody Loves Raymond and I'm reading The Athletic every night. That's not quality time. That's not time spent that that helps us build in love. We need to connect. We need to spend time together. We need to immerse ourselves in each other's life. We can't spend an hour together a week and say, well, it's good to see you for this hour, right? I'm so in love with you. I'm in love with you too. No, that doesn't work. No, you have to spend quality time. You have to be together. You have to grow in love with one another. You've got to get to know each other better. That's what helps us to grow in love. And as I mentioned, everything that the church is designed to do, everything that the church prioritizes or should prioritize should help build that relationship stronger. The times of worship that we have should help to build that quality time and relationship. The times that you're listening to me preach up here on a Sunday morning, that should be helping in order to build that relationship. The times that we have prayer meetings and pursue nights where we're just trying to spend time in the presence of the Lord to to feel his presence, but also to pray for one another and feel the presence of the Lord through one another, that helps us grow in love and relationship with him. The fact that next week, Pastor Otto's gonna get up here and he's gonna say, we have 87 life groups for you to be a part of. Choose any of them. Because in those life groups, you're going to study the Bible with other Christians, you're going to pray with other Christians, and the faith of other Christians is going to rub off on you in a good way, and you're going to fall more in love with Jesus. That's how all this works. Quality time spent. Now, you can spend the quality time in your prayer closet. How's that for Christianese? Prayer closet is what spiritual Christians call what, right? Your time of prayer at home, right? Okay, so, so you can grow in love with Christ in your time of prayer at home. You can grow in love with Christ in your personal study of the word. But the church is also designed to help us grow in that love of Christ because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. 
How do I know Christ loves me? Because I am reminded of it. The scriptures tell me of it. Prayer's answers proved it. The love of Christ displayed through my church family shows me once again that Jesus loves me. This I know. This is what changes us and helps us to live for Christ. Total immersion in the things of God. That's where Paul was living, but that's where the Corinthians weren't. They weren't living in total immersion of the things of God. They were just partly in and partly out. And when you're partly in and you're partly out, well, that puts you in a position not to be serving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. you got to make the change fully. I was reading the Gospel Coalition website. I don't know how many of you know about the Gospel Coalition. It's a group that's on six continents that's trying to continue to encourage churches preach from the Bible and preach the gospel as it's presented in the Bible. Don't derivate from the standard. And I was reading a a New Year's article this week, and it talked about one of the major threats to the church being two idols that the church won't lay down. Now, I could give you guess after guess after guess after guess, and I, 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 I would bet most of us wouldn't come up with the idols I know what some of you would say immediately. Ah, pornography and alcohol. You would start right there, right? Those would be the two idols that need to fall down. And if those are idols they need to fall down, they need to go away, right? They, the, 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 the addiction to alcohol, the addiction to pornography, those things got to go. But they said that the two things, all right, that are threatening the church in America today more than any other things are the idols of comfort culture and the idol of hustle or busyness. These are the two things that threaten us more than any other thing. Now, good for you. You stayed up and watched the ball drop last night. You got up or stayed up and watched the star last night drop or whatever. Somebody told me there was a star. My wife and I stayed up and watched Everybody Loves Raymond till midnight. Yet you're in church this morning. Great job, right? Good for you. So you are not overcome by comfort culture, right? You're not the ones I'm talking to. I think, right? But post-pandemic, in a world that says, come to me, come to me, come to me, give to me, give to me, give to me, give to me, it's possible that the church of God can get into the same rut. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Give to me, give to me, give to me, give to me. If it's not easy, it's not for me. They say that's one of the threats to the church. You know, I'm thinking about in a couple of weeks coming out on Wednesday nights, Gina and I are going to teach a communication and conflict class for couples what we're going to do, we're all going to get in a room and fight right in front of each other. No, we're going, to, we're going to do this. We haven't done it in probably six, seven years. We're excited about it. We hope you'll come out on Wednesday night. But you know that very first Wednesday night, January 18th, is that right, Pastor Otto? There's going to be a snowstorm to beat all snowstorms, right? It's going to be there. And we're going to be like, no, nobody's going to come to the class, but they need it because they're all fighting, and we know that it. it's January. They're stuck in the house together, Right? And we're going to need that so desperately, but what's going to happen in that class is we're going to unpack the word of God, and we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to build friendships with other Christians that's going to mutually inform our faith. And the enemy of our souls will say, don't brush off the car, it's too much work. Right? Right? We don't want comfort to overcome immersion in the things of God that help us grow in the love of Christ. That's what we have to be careful of. There's a snowstorm every Wednesday. It's been this way for years. There's an enemy of our souls, and somehow he's connected to snow. It's like the white witch every single Wednesday night is coming into our midst. But the other, uh, the other issue is that busyness factor, isn't it? And that's, that, that's what you January 1st people have a problem with, right? 
You got to church this morning after watching the ball drop. You're here. The church is open, so I'm at church. You're not going to miss. But there's so much that you're doing and so much that you're saying yes to and so many priorities that you have that the things of God can get squeezed out. And you cannot grow in love for Christ unless you're spending quality time with Christ. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's just a night with both of you on your phones. An hour of church every week, but we need to immerse ourselves in the things of Christ to be in love with Christ. Therefore, I'm just going to challenge you all that some of the greatest scholars in the world who are not only looking at the scriptures, but looking at the state of Christianity in America are saying, let those idols fall down. Let those idols fall down. Do what makes you uncomfortable if it means spending time with Christ and make sure that your busyness does not push Christ out of your life. Because when we are fully immersed in the love of Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. For for your sake, Christ died and was raised. It's tough every moment of every day to be thankful for the cross, but it's not tough every moment of every day to be immersed in the love of Christ. And, and I mean that. You can't always be just, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord. I don't know that you can do 24 hours of that, but you certainly can do that every day. And you certainly can be convinced that God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And therefore, you want to give him everything. Now, Paul goes on not only to say you need to feel something different, he says you need to see something different. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Paul says, therefore, because I know I am loved by God, I don't look at other people the same way any longer. We sang it today, second song. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am, whom the sun sets free. We are so thrilled with the fact that Christ loves us. And that is so important that we become enamored with the idea that Christ has loved us so that we'll give him our all. But that should result in a change in how we see others. He says, because I know I'm loved by Christ, I no longer regard other human beings in my flesh. And for those of you reading the NIV, it's probably translated sinful nature. I no longer see people the way I saw people before I knew the love of Christ. For I know the love of Christ, and the love of Christ is for me, and therefore the love of Christ is for them. If I see them the way that Jesus sees them, that means that everybody I encounter, everyone should be made new. That's the way I see people now. Not as a nuisance, not as the people running their grocery cart into my rear end in the Acme line, not as the folks that are in front of my kids to get on the tilt-a-whirl, not as the people who are out on the road worthy of me screaming at them out the window for cutting me off. I no longer see people as a nuisance or in nothing, I see them the way Christ sees them, as someone who needs to be reconciled to God. Everyone should be made new. That's how I see people now. I once regarded Christ, says Paul, in my sinful nature. I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't need to have anything to do with you. In fact, I might even be opposed to you. 
That's how he used to view Christ. He said, that's how I used to see Jesus, but the change is complete. I live fully for Jesus now. He says, if I live fully for Jesus, therefore, in the same way that my attitudes have changed towards Christ, my attitude needs to change towards other people. Everybody should be made new. Everyone I encounter, everyone who I interact with, everyone I regard through the eyes of Christ, no longer through my eyes. What a terrible and horrible challenge. From the minute we stand to leave this place today, we are going to be confronted with opportunity to see people in our flesh or to see them as Jesus sees them, as sheep without a shepherd, as thirsty and in need of a drink, as hungry and in need of sustenance, as naked and in need of clothing. That is what makes the change. And that's a threat to us as Christians today because we can come into the church and we can become enamored with the love of Christ for us and ignore the love of Christ for our fellow men and women. Paul says if you're truly enamored with the love of Christ, if you truly have been changed and controlled by his love, then you're going to regard people differently. How are you regarding people today? The folks that you're going to interact with as you go back to work tomorrow, how do you regard them? Are you looking at them and saying they are someone who should be made new because Christ died for all? Or are they just someone to be ignored or someone to be despised? Everybody should be made new. So we have to change the way we see other people as we change the way we see ourselves. Let's look at the last part of the passage here together this morning. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We're ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. See, Paul says you got to feel something different. you got to feel the love of Christ. Paul says you got to see something different. You need to see people as those who Christ died for so that they can be made new. But you need to see yourself not only as the reconciled, but people who, a person who reconciles others. An ambassador for Christ. That's how you are to see yourself if this change is to be made complete. Because the reconciled reconcile others. You can't be enamored with the love of Christ and also say that I love other people without the blessing and benefit of desiring with all your heart that they be reconciled to Christ as well. You can't call yourself a fully-fledged, fully, fully immersed Christian if there is no care to be part of reconciling others to God. Paul says that's the completed change. We appeal to you and implore that you need to be reconciled to God because that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus came to this earth. He repeats it four times. Jesus came to this earth to reconcile fallen men and women to himself. And therefore, if you live for Jesus, you are an ambassador who is involved and invested in reconciling folks to Jesus. That's what you do. That's how you see yourself. God is making his appeal through me, says Paul. He's appealing to people through me. He's appealing, he's imploring, he's begging 
others to come to Jesus because it's the most important thing that can ever happen, a person being reconciled to Christ. And this is the issue for so many of us today. We feel reconciled to God. We do know the love of Jesus. We don't view people as a nuisance. In fact, we do see opportunity around us every single day. But we do nothing about it. Because the last idol to fall is not busyness and it's not comfort culture. The last idol to fall is pride. And if you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you read the writings of a man who is letting his pride fall down again and again and again, who is humiliating himself that others might be reconciled to Jesus. That's what he's doing. I implore you, I encourage you, read two, three chapters of 2 Corinthians today and watch how Paul is humiliating himself so that people might be reconciled to God. He is appealing and imploring these people. You need to know Jesus and give every bit of your heart to him. It's the most important thing that you can do. I know you mock me and I know you make fun of me. I know you have people in your church that say I'm a bad guy and that my motives aren't right. I know that there's people that tell you that I'm a big old jerk, but all I want with all my heart is for you to know Jesus. So be reconciled to him because the last idol to fall is pride. And folks, my busy, busy, beautiful church people, the idol that must fall for us if we are to be fully changed into the people God has us to be as pride, that we will appeal and implore and beg and embarrass ourselves for the cause of Christ. Because our Savior humbled himself even to death on a cross. No one here is going to be nailed to a cross and have insults hurled at them and be beaten and mocked and derided in that way, betrayed. But we are going to have to embrace the spirit of our Lord that says for others to be reconciled to God, I have to humble myself in massive ways. I'm going to have to be embarrassed. I'm going to have to plead and beg in spite of myself sometime. Because Jesus is worth it. Because the love of Christ controls me. Paul could have looked at these Corinthians who had mocked him, scorned him, spoken against him, ignored him, and left them alone. And many of these people would have died in their sin. Church people who don't yet know Jesus. But he can't do that because the love of Christ controls him. So he sends one more appeal. One more letter to implore them. Be reconciled to Jesus. And it pained him. He was embarrassed. But he did it anyhow. 
And I know in this year for us to do what God has for us to do as a church, to help others be reconciled to God, it's going to be painful for many of us. We're going to be embarrassed. That's why it's so important that we know the love of Christ. Because if we truly know how much he's loved us and how much he's done for us, we will implore. We will appeal. We will plead and we will beg so that others might be reconciled to God. If we truly know the love of Christ, we will be his ambassadors in this world. We'll see people as he sees them. And having been made new, we'll participate in making others new. Oh Lord, let it be so. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If this last great change that is needed is resonating with you this morning, I'd like to pray about that. To truly be the bride of Christ, to put on the last garment, pride is going to have to fall down in us. For it's our pride that keeps us from making the appeal, from telling others about Jesus, from giving that invitation to know the Lord who died for them. And if you're like me this morning, you need this pride to fall down in order to truly do all that Christ is calling you to do. If that's you and you're like me, would you just join me in raising a hand to heaven and say, Lord, I need my pride to fall down today. I need my pride to fall down. I want to be able to implore, appeal, beg, and plead with people to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. For I have been so loved I want others to know that love. Just keep that hand raised to heaven with me. And I'm going to invite you to add your prayers to mine right in this moment. Heavenly Father, you have done so much for us. You have loved us with a great love. We know your goodness. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We know the presence of your Spirit. Oh, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be ambassadors for you? That the full change of being made new is only complete when our pride falls down and we appeal to others to be made new as well. Lord Jesus, allow our pride to fall down. Help us to let it go. Help us to be willing to be embarrassed for you, derided for you, mocked for you, scorned for you, that some may come to know you as Lord and Savior, that having died for all, that some might live, and some might live because you sent us. Make me new, Lord Jesus. Make me new. Make your people new, Lord. Make us new. 
We pray all these things in your matchless and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Would you stand today? Some of you are about to make the huge mistake of eating sauerkraut. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. Because you're going to need it. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. We will be back to our normal service times next week. Have a lot to impart to you about all that God's going to be doing on the 8th and the 15th of the next two weeks here at the church. So make sure you're here. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. God bless. Happy New Year.